Greetings and welcome to another episode of Stamper Cinema. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. In this episode, I am I'm thrilled to have the guest that that we've got in store for you. He and I go back to I want to say 2008, back during our our uh, Bonnaroo days when I used to go to music festivals, and he was my camping neighbor. And uh, we hit it off really well. And fast forward a decade plus, and uh, we, we still chatted up. We have a very, very deep affinity and uh, a love of John Carpenter movies. So I think we're gonna we're probably gonna be talking about that. And uh, you know, we'll see how this conversation goes. But joining me, without further ado, is my friend Mark King. Hey, man, how's it going, Mark? Not too bad. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate the uh, invite and uh, excited to to share my uh, <laughs> views on some Carpenter films. Yeah, man, totally. So, how's everything? You're you're up in Columbus, right? Yeah, yeah. We've been here for um, oh man, uh, since 2007, like right before we met you, 2006. So, 14 years, and uh, you and I have been friends for 12 of that. <laughs> yeah, man, dude. I so. As you know, you know, I went to like grad school up in Pittsburgh. I went out to Columbus a couple times, and we we caught a few shows. I think who did we see? We saw. I remember going to a Vampire Weekend concert with you, and there yes, might have been yeah. there might have been another show, but I can't I can't think of. I what sticks out is uh, you coming over for pizza, just yeah, a quick pizza date <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in Columbus. Was, uh, yeah, funny thing about that is I I loved my time that I when I lived in Pittsburgh, but. Pittsburgh has some like just shitty pizza. All right. And Columbus, they, I don't know if they still do, but back then they had an Atlanta pizza chain. It's called mellow mushroom. I, I was just jonesing for good pizza. And if I wanted to go to Atlanta, I wasn't going to drive 10 hours from Pittsburgh. So (laughs) I made the three hour pilgrimage over to Columbus and dude, that's a good town, man. We, I've had some good time over there and had some good pizza. So yeah, that was fun. That was a good time. Now, what do y'all, you know, how have you guys been doing during the whole COVID, like, you know, just insanity? How are you guys holding up? Um, well, we decided to buy a house to uh, spread out a little bit. Um, going from 1,200 square feet seems to be the uh, smart plan up to uh, probably about twice that. But uh, we got some room now to spread out and kind of uh, stay out of each other's hair. I've been watching a lot of uh, movies on the downtime. and uh, What are you watching? What have you, what, what have you been watching? I've been really digging into the A24 movies right now. Nice, um, yeah. High, High Life with Robert Pattinson has been a real, like, under-the-radar movie. I heard briefly about it, I think, last year mm-hmm. and checked that out. That's probably been the big standout film this summer that I was, like, really into. Um, super low budget, but there's some really good special effects they did with that that low budget mm-hmm. Um that they had. So it was, it's kind of interesting. If you haven't checked it out, I, I would definitely recommend that. You, what is like, where can we find that? Is it streaming on anything in particular? Uh, yeah, I, I'm still a sucker and like the, the last person in America to be buying, um, film or, or music. Um, and I stream everything. So it's Apple. I, okay. uh, I always check. They have movies on sale every week for five bucks, seven bucks. And I, I go through the bargain bin and see what uh, what movie I haven't checked out yet. Don't do it that way. It, it's so funny. Like, so yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy shit on Apple when they've got like those killer sales and they'll like do the bundle. And 
there'll be like three or four movies like on like a really like sweet deal. I'm like, yay, cool. I'm all about it. But I've also gotten this weird, <laughs> this weird hobby of buying, like for the longest time I would kind of like pirate, you know, legally download movies and, and stream that from one thing to the other. And I had a really, really like cool DVD collection that kind of, I got rid of some stuff, but now I find myself building back like movie mm-hmm. collections. Like I'm big into like the Criterion collection stuff. So I'll like buy mm, yeah. certain Blu-rays on Criterion. Shout Factory have really cool uh, movies that they do like special edition stuff. And I've been like a big sucker on like these whole like Steelbook movies and oh yeah yeah totally those are awesome (laughs) and like as if my nerding wasn't super high enough yeah now i'm starting to collect um like horror vhs movies that are kind of like rare and hard to find so i'm building up a vhs collection because why not stack the deck on dead technology right so that's right yeah exactly yeah So listeners, if you've got any VHS movies that you really don't listen to anymore, <laughs> book your brother, uh, stamp her up because I, I, I could use a few VHS tapes. So anyway, so moving along, obviously I mentioned in the intro that we're big John Carpenter fans. In fact, I think there was, we had started and unfortunately due to myriad, a myriad of reasons, I haven't been able to come up, but we started like a John Carpenter day, uh, like event up there in Columbus. And you've now done it at least twice to my recollection, right? Yeah, um, we uh, there's a uh, little art movie theater, uh, Grandview Theater and Draft House uh, in Grandview, Ohio. It's like a suburb of Columbus. Um, I know you and I. One night I was watching the thing, and you you reached out through text, and we totally just immediately started riffing on ideas. And yeah. I brought it to a friend who's the event planner there, and we've done um, two. We're we're trying to figure out the logistics for this year's mm-hmm. uh, movie. But we've done uh, Big Trouble Little China, and they live so far. And it seems to have some great turnout. We do, like, giveaways, like, uh, John Carpenter themed gifts. And uh, we try to plan it around his birthday every January, and which is why oh, uh, traveling to uh, Columbus in January is never the uh, most <laughs> ideal. Uh, <laughs> like, so the past two years, it, it, it hasn't worked out. One, two years ago, when like it was the first one, we, Catherine and I, were in the, the middle of our move from Austin to Atlanta. So during that, couldn't make that work. And then unfortunately, um, last last January, it was, it was kind of like a, like, you know, it was kind of like a sour time for me, you know, uh, you know, my, my dog had passed and I just wasn't really feeling the idea of like being too social. So kind of overlooked the John, John Carpenter day 2.0. And of course now John Carpenter day 3.0 kind of coincides with COVID. So probably not going to hop on a plane to go up to Columbus in January in the middle of a pandemic. So. The film, yeah. But that's okay. We're bringing, we're bringing John Carpenter to the podcast and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be doing a little bit of a double feature Mark has selected a John Carpenter flick and I've got one as well. So we'll have Mark kickstart it. What, what movie are we going to talk about today? What, what movie did you bring to the table? I, uh, I decided to kind of, you know, get a, a good, like probably the quintessential John Carpenter film and go with Christine. And uh, I, I say quintessential just because I think it's the most John Carpenter John Carpenter was during that period. For the listeners, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, it's just the premise of a murderous car mm-hmm. or cruise in a neighborhood in, in California. It just seems there that only Carpenter would be like, yeah, this sounds great. 
Yeah. And then he collaborates with Stephen King to write this script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, lo- love it. It's just uh premise that kind of paved the way for a lot of these out there horror films that we uh, see today. Yeah, definitely. So to paint a little picture, the movie Christine, if you're not familiar with it, it was a 1983 film originally written by Stephen King. John Carpenter did the did the film, but essentially it is a supernatural thriller about this 1958 vengeful Plymouth Fury that is a uh, gets a little jealous and, you know, likes to likes to kill people and attempts to (laughs) murder anybody who wrongs it, right? So it also focuses on this nerdy kid named Arnie and uh, how the the car essentially gives him confidence. And there's a really great review that Roger Ebert said before, and I I tend to talk about what critics say later on, but his little synopsis of the movie I think is really, really great. And I'll just read like this opening sentence from him. So what he had to say is, and I quote, I've seen a lot of movies where the teenage guy parks in a car with a girl he loves. This is the first one where he parks with a girl in a car he loves. So I thought that was a really good interest, you know, like interesting thing. And yeah, and, you know, I think we all know those guys and knew those guys like in high school that, you know, they restored their car and their car was like their baby. And, you know, they, they, they use it to, you know, like impress chicks. But in this case, he's more in love with the car than he is with the, the, the girl that he's kind of like sidling up next to. So I think it was kind of a fun, interesting take on it. So what are some things about this movie that stand out to you that you, that you enjoy? Uh, I, I like, I mean, you were hit, you're hinting about um, Arnie there and I just love how he starts very nerdy, very kind of the sidekick in the film. And then as the film progresses, he rapidly, takes charge. He's got a great line when he gets Christine saying it's the only uglier thing than me. And at least I could fix up the car. Mm -hmm. And then from there on, he is just obsessed with this car. And, you know, he becomes, I mean, he's actually, it's a really well-played part and he is just really driving, no pun intended, uh, the, uh, (laughs) the story at that point for, you know, this relationship between him and this, uh, possessed car <laughs> yeah yeah and you you know we mentioned arnie we'll, we'll talk briefly about the cast but it has a ton of before they were stars and you know people that are kind of on the bubble but our, our our central lead is this guy arnie cunningham and it's played by keith gordon and for the listeners you might recognize keith gordon from uh back to school the rodney dangerfield film and he was also in the legend of billy jean he now does a lot of directing. He, I know he direct, uh, directed a few Homeland episodes and shit, what else? Uh, Fargo episodes. So he does a lot of like directing. You have John Stockwell, who you guys would probably recognize him as, what was it? Cougar, right? It was Cougar from, from Top Gun. Yeah. So the guy that loses <laughs> right? the edge in the beginning, he, uh, he's in it. <laughs> Alexandra Paul, who is more famous for her role that she had on Baywatch as like that, you know, the, the tall chick with the, the short hair, the, the short haired, uh, what the hell are they called? Um, lifeguard. You have Robert Prosky who famously played Robin Williams's boss in Mrs. Doubtfire. Old man Marley from home alone is in this movie. Harry Dean Stanton is in this flick. Uh, the dude that Peter Venkman shocked the hell out of in Ghostbusters. He has a small <laughs> role in this movie. So 
a lot of a lot of people. Oh shit! I can't believe I forgot about. It, but Kelly Preston, R.I.P. But Kelly Preston had a, a pretty important role in this movie as well. So a really really solid cast, quite frankly, on a fairly fairly low budget budget film, as most John Carpenter films are. They're you know at a, a very very low budget. Um, in fact, when I pull that up, the budget for this movie was approximately, well, actually, shit, I take that back, had a $10 million budget, which was probably the largest budget that he had to date because most of his movies at that point had, were, I mean, he made Halloween at like three hundred grand and uh, sold on uh, Precinct 13 at around that same amount. So Big Trouble in Little China, another low-budget movie, but... This one, maybe I don't know. Maybe most of the budget went to the car because you have to maybe, uh, <laughs> had to cost something to beat the hell out of this car, right? So, but what what else? What else? Uh, what else is on your mind about this movie? What What do you want to talk about? Maybe um, you know, like the car. I love like there's just no explanation to why this car is possessed. It's None. making me want to pick up the book. <laughs> like it just starts. Yeah, maim someone. The first ten seconds. Yep. That some guy just randomly sits in it. He gets murdered immediately. We're like a minute into the film now. Two people have been horribly injured. Yeah. And then and then it's a time skip for like ten years. And then we meet Arnie. <laughs> yeah, that that it's really funny that you mentioned in that uh, a couple things. One, the fact that yeah, there there is no there is no explanation or backstory as to why this car is possessed. None it is never never addressed. It might be covered in the book and probably is knowing Stephen King, but just didn't really seem to be interested by that. And you mentioned these time skips. The movie kind of does that in the way that the movie is kind of edited where you're, you're just supposed to be like, okay, I'm sure. Why not? He, he's, he, he's now dating this chick. We never see him ask her out. They're just now a couple. And we're supposed to believe that. It's good that you brought up the, the, the girlfriend too, because they spend a lot of time setting up. She's the new girl, but she's also like the stone cold Fox of the school immediately. Mm-hmm. And then out of the blue, Arnie, new persona Arnie is dating her. Yep. And then we just keep going with the narrative. Nothing yeah. else is said about that relationship. No. Like the, <laughs> the entire movie asks you and just assumes that you're going to believe every random thing it throws at you. The movie is very, very ridiculous, but it's also it's really freaking cool. And as Mark said a couple minutes ago, it is very quintessential John Carpenter as well. But it's almost ridiculous on these leaps that that they want you to take as you're as you're going along right, with like it. Halfway through the film, all of a sudden, Christine has healing powers, right. and when the when the school bully trashes the car, the next scene, the car is totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the car is totally fine. And then we meet the car, and the car is all beat to shit, right? And it had just been beat to shit for however long, and knowing that the car can well, drive itself, and the it can repair itself. Why is it just sitting in old man Marley's junkyard? You know, like, it, it, just another thing that you're just supposed to ignore. And why not? You know, it, it's a fun movie about a possessed car. I mean, how, how much reality are you really going to invest in, in, that, in, uh, in something like that anyway? But... And it works so well. I mean, yeah. that's what Carpenter's great at. I mean, you're just along for the ride. Again, no pun. Um, <laughs> and 
you know, the story is just progressing and it's never like, what, what is happening now? You're like, okay, I'm into this. This is fine. Like, <laughs> I'm sure the car can heal itself and drive and wait till someone notices it wants an audience. You know, it's, it's great. Uh, a couple, a couple like notes about the movie. Now we know that Keith Gordon ended up playing Arnie, but that wasn't the original, the original choice. Do you know, do you know where I'm going with this? Have you, have you heard anything about like, no, okay. no, this is so the original idea is they wanted Scott Bayo to play Arnie and they were going to have Brooke Shields playing Lee, but they wanted to go with a couple more unknown actors. So the original guy that was, uh, that was like hired for the gig, but he ended up opting out was Kevin Bacon and he opted out cause he had just gotten the gig for footloose. So he passed on Christine to do footloose a sidebar to this discussion. And it's just kind of interesting to see how fate is, whether, you know, you believe in fate or not, but how thing like a turn of events can go. Right. So Kevin Bacon opts out not to do this movie because he got footloose. But the reason why Kevin Bacon got footloose is because of the fact that Rob Lowe broke his foot or his leg or his toe or something during the audition for footloose. Rob Lowe was supposed to be the original guy for footloose, but during his dance like audition, he broke his toe and had to be like stretchered off. And so he lost the gig. And to this day, Rob Lowe is still kind of resentful about the fact that he didn't, he didn't get footloose, which is kind of funny. So had Rob Lowe got footloose, Kevin Bacon probably would have had the role of Arnie. And who knows where, you know, what would have happened. And and then obviously, you know, we we have John Stockwell who plays oh shit, what what is uh John Stockwell's character's name? The his buddy, Arnie's buddy. Uh, yeah, just the uh, football um I think Dennis or Dennis? something like is that. It Dennis? Yeah. Okay. So that guy, uh yeah, so Dennis, he was kind of an up and coming actor at that time and he had been in a, a lot of a lot of films and he you know, he and Tom Cruise were kind of working the same films and they did, they had a movie together. Oh shoot. What was that movie? It wasn't, uh, I'm going to cheat on this one, but the movie that John Stockwell did with Tom Cruise was losing it. So he did another movie with Tom Cruise called losing it. And you know, he had been in a few other, I mean, his career to that point had been a little bit more stable than Tom Cruise. And the funny thing is in Top Gun, he's the guy that is the guy, but he loses his edge. And Tom Cruise's character Maverick takes over and the guy that plays or Ed Cougar is never really heard from again. It's kind of similar to John Stockwell's career because after, after Top Gun, he really didn't have any any starring roles. It just kind of went into supporting characters, but prior to Top Gun, he, you know, he had a large role in Eddie and the cruisers. Obviously he was a supporting lead character in Christine and losing it. And my science project and a couple other films, but it's just interesting how, how like the casting of this movie affected so many other other lives and how Christine and Footloose are kind of tied into that, which I don't know, maybe I'm making a leap trying to find that, that correlation, but I find it interesting. So I'll leave it up to the listener to decide if, you know, my rambling on for the past two minutes is, is intriguing <laughs> at all. I don't know, but it, it, it interests me anyway. So a little, a little backstory for you. 
I don't really have a ton to say about Christine. Generally perceived as favorable on Rotten Tomatoes. I want to say it has an over, what is it, 60, 69%. Audience score of 64%. So again, anything really over 60% or 6 out of 10 is generally favorable. But when, when it was released, Roger Ebert gave it 3 out of 4. He enjoyed the movie, which, you know which is cool because he's kind of the, the goat when it comes to film critics. And uh, I know that his partner in crime, Gene Siskel, wasn't the biggest fan of the movie. But overall, the movie, although completely ridiculous, is completely endearing as well. And it, it makes for a good rewatch, especially during the Halloween season. It's one of those movies that, that I do like to come back to every year. It's often played on like AMC's Fear Fest or whatever, but... Right now, I think you can find it streaming available on Prime. So if you haven't watched it, I'd recommend checking it out. Um, do you have any other any other notes that you want to talk about for of Christine? No, I mean, I just I, I like this film. Like you said, it, it's just one of those I find myself coming back to it. You know, if I've got an hour and a half on a weekend where I'm, you know, doing something, I'm like, Christine's like that one not the top tier John Carpenter people are going to rattle off right away, but you're like, it's still just, it encapsulates everything that you want. You're just, it's good. It's good. Flick. Like it. Totally. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else to add, I think we'll, we will segue over into another John Carpenter flick. And in this one, the movie selection that I, that I chose is really quite frankly, super on the nose. It's Halloween. So I chose Halloween. So we're going to talk about the 1978 John Carpenter Halloween, which probably is to date his most recognizable film. Now that I think about it, this is the third John Carpenter flick that we've talked about on the podcast. We started with The Thing. We covered Christine just now and now Halloween. So yeah, got to love John Carpenter. Now Halloween was released in 1978 and it essentially follows the story of this 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 guy that you know is just a little misunderstood you know he 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 kills his older sister and for you know i mean he spends 30 years in a mental hospital and he just wants to come back home and you know kill some more teenagers right i mean that he's just misunderstood um but yeah no it follows the story of michael myers who famously killed his older sister when he was just a child gets thrown in a mental institution, escapes in 1978 in Halloween, and returns back home and terrorizes uh, the the local babysitters in the neighborhood. The the sequels give it a different kind of like backstory that that Lori was his sister, but in the in the case of the 1978 film, there there's no relation. It's just him terrorizing babysitters. In fact, the original title the Babysitter Murders, I want to say. It wasn't originally titled Halloween. It was called The Babysitter Murders. And how this film came to be was John Carpenter had worked with the producer previously. I want to say it was on, on um, Assault on Precinct, uh, Precinct 13. It, it was following the success of Black Christmas. Now, did you ever see – have you seen Black Christmas yeah, it's my favorite Christmas movie. It, one of the uh... it's crazy and it's super wild that it is done by the same guy that did a Christmas story. It's freaking insane, you know that the same guy that uh, did a Christmas story, which is played twenty four hours straight on Christmas Eve, also did Black Christmas, which is one of the the most chilling 
uh, Christmas stories ever made. And uh, so based on the success of Black Christmas and those that were involved, they had kind of come up with the idea of doing something around Halloween. And that's how this movie came to be. Nobody had any idea that it was going to be the success that it was. And what I mean by that, this movie had a $300,000 to $350,000 budget and since grossed well over $60 million in the box office. Now, apologize, Mark, I've been rambling on, but I get really, really jazzed when I start talking about this movie. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts on Halloween? Are you a fan of this movie? Yeah, and you know, it's one of those, the older I get, the more I appreciate this film. You know, when you're nine, 10 years old, staying up late watching it, you know, on late night cable TV, you're like, just jazz, like you were saying, jazz, this movie is just so intense. But like, now that I'm older, I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's almost perfect for like a horror movie for Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just that rising tension, you know, like with Michael Myers, you start right away with his backstory, you know? Kills, kills a sister, gets caught, and then right into, we got to take him to this parole board meeting and go from there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's good. It's, it's, it's good about keeping like the, the ghost in the background, you know, like the monster's never really a part of the film. It, it, I love that approach to, to horror movies. Yeah. Now, I should have asked you this when we were talking about Christine, but we'll actually, I'll ask it. Uh, I'll ask it. Um, yeah. So just to, before I ask the question about Halloween, do you remember the first time that you saw Christine? Do you have any, any like famous or not famous? Do you have any memories that, that when you first saw Christine, that it's stuck? Is there any, any anecdotes that you want to share? <laughs> yeah, we, um, I grew up in Northeast Ohio and, and the Cleveland back then, like the eighties, they had a Friday night, like variety show slash movie show called big chuck and little john and on it was like at midnight and they would do skits between like the segment you know like right before they cut to commercial they do like a little two minute skit um kind of like an snl meets uh meets cleveland and it was (laughs) it was good it's just these two these two guys and they had like excellent taste in movies like as soon as stuff could go into syndication these guys were grabbing it and, and playing it. And my parents were once, they were like, after Carson was over there in bed and I'm like sneaking out to, you know, turn the TV on and watch these guys. Mostly, you know, it started for the humor and then I'm watching movies like The Gate. I'm watching, yeah. you know, the, um, the haunting of... Uh, um, Hill House? Or the, um, the, uh, no, um, I don't think they ever showed that. Or maybe they have, but it was like uh, uh, Dies Fear, The House of Dies Fear, I think. It was okay. like they play these old, flicks and christine was one of those and i remember watching it being like you know nine ten eleven or something just being like hey i'm, I'm in for the ride here and I, I, this is awesome and i'm i'm breaking all the rules and i'm getting jokes for tomorrow and watching movies about murderous cars and, <laughs> and rock and roll and it, it it was excellent so yeah christine was like that film for me yeah um that kind of like gelled, like this is a cool genre. And it's because it was rebellious. You know, I'm out there doing my thing. (laughs) But I I should be getting up for Saturday morning. Now, were you a rebellious teenager? Did you you have like a a badass car when you were in high school? Yeah, I I went through my black clothing phase. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, yeah, no, uh, 
I had a Dodge Shadow, so definitely not too rebellious there. <laughs> yeah. So I, because I, and I, I share this with everybody. Everybody's probably really tired of me talking about my background, but for the most part, I grew up in Bermuda, and the the driving age for a car is eighteen. So I couldn't have a car in Bermuda. But what I did have was a beautiful red Kawasaki motorcycle. And in Bermuda, everybody really that I went to school with, they all either had a, like a scooter or a moped of some sort, like the Suzuki moped was, was like a hot commodity, but I didn't want any of that bullshit. I wanted a motorcycle. (laughs) And so I had it. My, My father and I bought this motorcycle for, I want to say 500 bucks. And we put another about $500 into like restoring it, which in 1994, 1995, that was a lot of money. I mean, you know, that was all my money, but my father was like, well, shit, my father can like fix anything and he can build anything. He's kind of like a Renaissance man like that. But together we restored this, this Kawasaki motorcycle and it was hot. I mean, it, it looked badass. <laughs> and I'll never forget, like when I turned 16, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all over the place. But what, <laughs> what we did at my school is people essentially bought a parking spot. It was to like raise money for student government. So you purchased your parking spot. So earlier in the year, I had purchased my parking spot, but I didn't have, but I was like, I had, I was 15. I didn't have a bike. And they're like, why do you, why did you purchase a spot? And I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm not going to be 15 forever. I'm going to be 16 and this spot is going to be mine. And I'll never forget the first time. Like I, I, I brought my, you know, I rode my bike to school. Everybody was like, holy shit, this bike is back. <laughs> uh, I wish, I wish some photos of my motorcycle had survived, but it was, it was like Christine red, you know, it was, a, and originally it was like a darker shade of red, but the previous owner just treated it like Christine. It looked, it looked all mangled up and it was all dented. And again, my father and I just like restored it, rebuilt it, got all the dents out and it looked brand new. And I, I can, when I close my eyes, I can still see this motor or this motorcycle. And yeah, I loved it. That was, that was my baby. And uh, yeah. The, it's uh concerning you're starting to sound like arnie with christine right here. Yeah, there's a, a spiritual connection it's between true. the film it's and true. Uh, <laughs> yeah i was, was kind of like arnie but yeah so it, it was fun you know i had you know I, I dated i dated a couple uh girls while i had that had that bike in hindsight i think i prefer the bike over those girls though but, <laughs> but yeah so i i love that bike and um yeah and then I sold it a couple of years later and I made like, I think, I think I ended up selling it for like $1,500. So I still made a profit on the bike. So, and I think that's in the end, that was, it was, it was a worthy investment. So end of my rant on that, but <laughs> I don't remember the first time I saw Christine. I just remember always knowing, knowing the film. And I probably saw it once as a kid because I've long been a Stephen King like fanatic ever since I saw Salem's Lot at like nine years old you know I've just been hooked on everything Stephen King so I imagine the first time I read that book and I saw the miniseries I just tried to consume as much Stephen King fodder as I could but do you remember the first time that you saw Halloween or do you have any any story that you want to share about about that movie at all 
I think my Halloween story, shockingly, is actually closer to your Christine story. Like, I, I always knew it existed, but it wasn't one that I really watched very young. You know, like, I wasn't sneaking up to watch. I think it was more of a high school getting together, you know, almost like the movie. Like, oh, can I get a girl over tonight? We'll watch Halloween. and, and Or I'm just with the guys, you know, like, hamming it up and, and, and you know, trying to not act scared that someone's going to murder me when I walk home that night. Yeah. uh... (laughs) The first time I saw Halloween, the original was actually after I saw Scream in 1996. No, I had seen Halloween two. I had seen Halloween (laughs) three. Halloween three when I was a kid was played on HBO like every day for like four or five years. But the original Halloween, for whatever reason, it wasn't until I saw Scream that I went back and watched the original Halloween. You know, I was already at that point a big John Carpenter fan. Big Trouble in Little China was probably, was probably my favorite. That and They Live, I think, are probably my number one and number two. Um, but when I finally saw Halloween, I, yeah, I, one, I love the story. And two, the opening sequence, that opening shot was something that I completely fell in love with because when I had seen that movie, I was already a fan of uh, the 1992 or 1993 movie called The Player, which was done by Robert Altman. And that movie has like a, like a 10 minute opening single shot uh, take in that movie. So I'm, I've always been like a sucker for that, but that, that, that one continuous take. Um, so when I saw Halloween, I'm like, well, shit, I need to know more about this take. So, and then come to find out it was really only like the third or fourth time that it had ever been used. It was called a paraglide, which we often kind of like, we'll call like a steady cam. And it was new technology in 1978. The only other person that really had done it prior to it was Terrence Malick, but it, it was something new. So that opening shot is really what is the whole reason why Halloween in many ways is as famous as it is because it was really inventive. It was a low budget movie. Yes. But Texas Chainsaw Massacre had already proved that you can be a very low budget horror film and achieve great, great, grandiose success. But Halloween, why that movie like stuck with audiences is because it had a really neat look to it. it. It was different than a lot of the other horror films of its day. And they sampled something that was brand new in the industry, which was that, that steady cam. So, and that was something that, that I'm like, this movie is more than just frights, which by the way, this movie will scare the shit out of you. If you've never seen it, it's done really well, but that, that steady cam shot where you're put in the, like through the eyes of the killer that you're tracking. And then it pays off so perfectly when it's revealed that it's a kid. It's a kid that is responsible for this murder. So it, it has you at that opening shot. So, uh, dude, Mark, I feel bad. I feel like I'm just commandeering this whole thing, but I will, like, we're talking about John Carpenter. So I'm going to be like, <laughs> yay, I get to nerd out. I did the same thing to my brother when we talked about the thing. So uh, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you talk for, for a second if there's anything that's on your mind about this movie. Um, one thing, I, you know, I, I was just recently watching um, this movie, and it's not something I don't know. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but like one of the first shots with Jamie Lee Curtis in her bedroom, there's like just a very clear, like there's things going on, all the scenery, and a very clear, non, like disrupted or like uh, 
trying to think of the word here, not obscured poster up on the wall. And I was like, at the way John Carpenter sets all of his shots up and, and the way he does things, I'm like, why is this one poster just unobstructed? You can see it, you can see who it is. And it was one of those, like an, an art poster with the name of the artist clearly labeled on it. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not sure if you've ever noticed this or not, mm-hmm. but no. um, I Googled it and that artist, you know, they were like, he was very well known for making paintings. And the, the poster is like a self-portrait, but his artwork was known for people in grotesque masks. And he was like some turn of the century artist, huh. like an impressionist. And he was known for just putting people in like plague, you know, plague doctor masks or like animal masks and things like that. But that are just very almost unsettling to see. Yeah. And I'm like, I, it, it's so Carpenter to be like, I'm going to find this random artist. And I mean, the big gimmick from the moment you first meet Michael, you know, Michael Myers in this movie is that he's wearing a mask. He finds the mask that the boyfriend throws away and puts that on. And immediately, I don't think we ever even get to know where he gets the mask. He's an adult, but he he gets it. And that's such a trademark for the franchise and for him. And everyone knows it without ever even seeing the film who he is yeah and to have an artist that's like i I don't know that's one of the things i love like going down rabbit holes with with uh carpenter or other directors that's really cool i didn't know anything about that when yeah no idea now you do bring up the mask and obviously for the the listeners that don't know the the mask itself that is used in in halloween basically is just a it's a mask of captain kirk and what they did is they spray painted it white they opened up the eye holes a little bit more for it and they they teased the hair but the like the makeup i want to say it was like the makeup uh guy on set he went down to like the local like costume shop and bought this captain kirk mask for two bucks and spray painted (laughs) it white and cut open the eyes a little bit more and you know messed around with the hair but that's what it is. So when you look at Michael Myers, it's, it's, it's William Shatner. That's what you're looking at right there, which, which is really, really wild. Another interesting note about the movie is the, some of the choices that were, that were made. So originally they were going to have like a whole like backstory on Dr. Loomis and there, you were going to get even more information about uh, Michael Myers's character, but it was actually the actor, uh, Donald Pleasance, who said, no, you know, if we're going to, if we, you know, he is far more terrorizing, the less you know about him. So that was something that was actually part of Donald Pleasance's idea to kind of remove as much backstory about Michael Myers as you possibly could know. And then he had that same idea to do that same thing with his character because of the fact that they're Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers are a yin and yang. And what is really interesting is really like Donald Pleasance until that point really had only played villains or primarily was known for playing a lot of villains in his career, whether he was um, Blofeld in, you know, one of the James Bond movies or uh, a myriad of other films. He, that, that, that's, you know, what he was known for, but so he kind of played Dr. Loomis in a way as he would any of his other villains in this movie, but he was, he was your, your hero or one of your two protagonists in the movie, but it was really his idea to kind of cut away any type of, 
you know, hum, uh, humanity to these two, these two characters that they were playing. So a lot of the success in the movie, we go back to John Carpenter, obviously directing it, uh, writing that beautiful freaking eerie piano score, but Donald Pleasance, the actor is also responsible for some of like the key story choices in the movie, which I think is really fascinating. You know, I always love fanboying over John Carpenter and everything. And I want to take some time to fan fanboy over the one actress. Um, she's credited as Nancy Loomis. I think her name's Nancy Keys or Kies, I believe. But she plays Annie um, in the film. And she was also the mayor's assistant in The Fog, which is another great Carpenter film. But and I don't really know other films. Like I feel like she's in these two dynamite roles yeah. in these Carpenter films that I've never seen her. And her delivery is perfect. And totally. <laughs> like she gets, she like, encapsulates this high school girl with like just the snide, like, sarcastic remarks. You know, always on point there for everything you need. And it's the same in the fog. And hers is even more low key there. Like she's just kind of saying like oh here's your briefcase but in a manner that you're just like laughing at it and you're like what is like this this actress is incredible and why is she not used more often and yeah i think she just adds that dimension to the halloween so much when when she's i i totally agree she's like (laughs) you know she's like that one scene she's like oh i got something on my shirt so she just drips and yeah like you're like what like it's it's i mean that actually sounds way worse than what i was it made it sound a little more sinister Uh, (laughs) yeah as i'm watching it from outside with michael it's uh yeah exactly uh, (laughs) yeah no uh the i guess it's something we haven't really i mean we've mentioned you know a couple things but obviously donald pleasance plays dr loomis jamie lee curtis with her her first motion picture appearance, Nick Castle as Michael Myers, but uh, Nancy Keys as Annie, and then PJ Souls, who was huge in the late 70s and um, uh, mid 80s. If anybody ever saw uh, Carrie, she was in Carrie. She was in obviously this Rock and Roll High School, Private Benjamin, and I'll always recognize her as, uh, you know, one of the girls from, uh, or Bill Murray's uh, gal in the movie Stripes. So whenever I think <laughs> of PJ Souls, I, I always go back to go back to Stripes. But like all three of these girls, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, and uh, the other gal that we were just talking about, they all killed it. I thought they were fantastic. And I often quote this movie like on the reg. And I love just going, totally <laughs> just how they like they're always, they're always like totally and yeah I, I i love it i can't i really can't get enough about it and i thought the i thought the acting was good pj souls i will always love again you know stripes but i i loved her her role in this movie but yeah good good call out bringing them up because i i, I love talking about uh, talking about the movie uh, the characters in the film and this movie there's really very little not to, I mean, there's very little to critique. It takes place. Well, now I have a problem that this movie, it takes place in Illinois, but very obviously filmed in California. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy uh, both of these movies and they are annual staples, both of these movies. And yeah, so I don't have a ton more that I really need to say about it other than if you're on the fence and you haven't seen either Halloween or Christine, 
you're you're doing yourself a disservice because they really are must watches for for different reasons. But uh, the again the just the the low budget innovations that John Carpenter did to make Halloween a, a success, and then you're pairing the minds of John Carpenter and Stephen King and Christine, and you know they're 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 fun movies and. And if you're on the fence, I highly recommend them. And Mark, do you have any closing thoughts on these before I take a couple seconds and just find out what your favorite John Carpenter movies are in general? Yeah, I mean, you watch this, I mean, Halloween in particular, and it seems like it is just a roadmap for almost every horror movie that came out since then. And I think the influence can never be understated on, on this, especially for a low budget, like, hey, let's just make a film together, you know, like all the things you were saying earlier. And then you know, the, the high school friends who get slowly picked off one at a time, you know, trope, you know, that Scream famously calls out as like, we've just spent 20 years doing it. I think it it, it starts with, with Halloween yeah. in this film, you know, like, and it, it builds that and it doesn't ever go over the top. It, it is always the right pacing, the right amount of tension. And I mean, even just starting in daylight, like you're first seeing him as an adult, during the daytime, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they, when they first encounter him and then it gets dark yeah. and then, you know, it goes. And I think that's just a, a, an excellent touch for this film. And it's, yeah, like an annual, you know, must have for a Halloween uh, movie bonanza for <laughs> some scares at this time of year. Yeah. So actually speaking about that, that's a really good segue. One of my favorite things is around this time of year, because we get the, the Mark King annual 31 days of Halloween <laughs> list. So can you tell us a little origin story on how that came to be? Because you like, you like sharing what you're, what you're watching that month. Yeah. I, I think it started out of some uh, sheer boredom and our social media age, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to put some, uh, some films together. I love, I do a monthly movie night with a group of friends here in town. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this all month. I think two or three years ago, I finally started uh, doing it. And I kind of see what movies I have, what stuff's on, you know, Netflix has become a tro- like a trove of good horror movies, good um, creative, like hush. Um, these movies that are just excellent thrillers or excellent horror films. And I, I'm, I'm putting them together. I, you know, like I like, I'll get 31 movies. Or I'll ask people like, Hey, what are you watching? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then we'll, you know, I'll come up with a little uh, iPhone, you know, a reminders thing for the month and I'll post it on Instagram and, you know, and get friends who are like, Oh, you should put this in there instead, or you should opt out and it'll do stuff. I got two kids. So it's like, Oh, let's do some ghostbusters. Let's do some, uh, some Beetlejuice. Um, it's going to make me sound like a total dad, but if you haven't watched it, the Goosebumps movie with Jack Black is hilarious. And I have not seen it. It's a, it's a, yeah, check it out. I know it's coming. I know it's coming simply for the fact that, I mean, my daughter is only two and a half, but I, I know, <laughs> I, you know, I only now just discovered Halloween Town. It's, it's, it's just some kid bullshit, but this year I've seen the movie like seven times because, you know, I've got a two and a half year old daughter and she, you know, that's, that's what she's watching, but she also discovered Beetlejuice this year. So, you know, like yeah, it's, hope isn't all lost, but yeah, my little daughter is all about it. Now, Mark, uh, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Are you familiar with the app Letterboxd? I am not. No, 
Okay, so I want you to download this app. It's called Letterbox. Well, Letterbox with a D at the end. And what it is, is it's like a social media site for movies and you can create lists and you can meet other people and you can, and it has like every single movie on there. And this episode was brought to you by Letterboxd. No, um, but <laughs> it's just a really, really cool like social media site, but you can just create, like, I've got, like, my horror top 50. I've got my recently watched list, badass class, classics, thrillers are my jam. You know, you can just create countless lists, and it just has, it like, a very, like, cool uh, use, uh, interface, and you can watch trailers and movies on there, and it gives you, like, little synopsises or synopses, and you can write your own reviews on these movies. But just a really, really cool little app. So especially if you're doing these like 31 nights of Halloween lists. This is like a cool site to use. And also if somebody talks about a movie and you're like, Oh dude, I need to write that movie down. That's what this is all about. You can create, you know, a watch list or a diary and whatnot. So check it out. I, uh, and you know, and listeners check it out and, and friend me because I think right now it's just me and the guy that created the app. I think I've got like the equivalent of like Tom uh, from MySpace as my, my only friend <laughs> on this app. So, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's a really neat app. So now for this year's 31 nights of Halloween, have you seen, did you turn on anything that you haven't seen? Is it anything new for you? Yes. Um, so this year I did something a little different, kind of went like themed weeks. And last week we just finished up. Um, I did like an A24 Netflix. Um, I know I was talking about A24 earlier um, and I was kind of looking for new things on Netflix. And Saturday I did a little uh, double feature, The Invitation and The Guest. Um, yeah. And I don't think either one is like a great horror film but they're both great and different like the invitation is probably one of the best thrillers i've seen recently i, I love right it. i, I love yeah. it it was that you know like the starting premise was what happened and or you know and it, just the way they did it was was perfect great cast you know great yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled because I think last year you put out, when you put out your list, I think I even like made a nod, like, dude, the invitation, <laughs> like I, I, the first, from the, the moment that I saw this movie, I was blown away. It is, and no, it's not a horror in the classic sense, but when I put it in, when I, when I think about it, it's just a perfect slow burn, like thriller. And it. Because you're watching this and you're like, is something crazy going on or is it all in his head? And the idea that it's all in its head really starts to like fuck with you. And it makes it like, dude, he's going to snap on these people like for like, and I'm not going to spoil anything without, but like, you know, something is going to happen and it's going to be crazy. And like the final act to act and a half of this movie is just some of the most intense shit that I've seen in a really, really long time. And the acting is fantastic and it's really, really cool. And I, yeah, when, and and if anybody ever mentions the invitation, I'm like, you immediately have my intention. Like, you know, (laughs) you've got my, you've got my attention because all I want to do is talk about that movie. I'll randomly like, 
talk to strangers and like, hey, I like this movie. I'm like, hey, that's great. Have you seen The Invitation? Because you need to. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm Andrew. Nice to right, meet yeah. you. Oh, Trolls oh, Trolls um, is yeah. pretty good. But what about The Invitation? You know, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Logan Marshall Green in that film was just, I mean, one, he's mm-hmm. almost, you know, you're like unrecognizable in his, you know, persona in there. And then he, he, he nailed it with that, that movie. Yeah. Now a couple other A24 movies sticking with kind of like the, like the scary genre, obviously there was Midsummer and there was Hereditary. Did you, have you seen either of those yet? And you know, we don't have to get yes. too in depth. Were you fans? Uh, yeah, Midsummer was my favorite movie last year. As much as you know, we had all the the Marvels and everything. Midsummer was such a blowing you away. Like the like the you know, like the cinematography, the doing it at a place where it's all daylight all the time. You know, the story from start to finish when you start piecing everything together. It, excellent, excellent film. Yep, uh, Hereditary. Yes. Also took me, I think, two watches to finally be like, oh, shit, this movie is bananas how incredible it is. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Both Midsummer and Hereditary have like very polarizing perspectives on its audiences. Those that love it really, really love it. And then there are those that really hate it. And like to the point where people, people get like nasty over it. Like my sister, like (laughs) she like shames me because I, when I saw hereditary, I was like, Holy snap, this movie is incredible. (laughs) It had me in like the opening, like the opening shot again, a good opening shot. You, 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 you've got my attention and just kind of like that slow zoom into like the dollhouse and everything that was, that was really, really good. So I enjoyed that. Um, and, but yeah, very polarizing movies. Uh, it comes at night is a really, uh, is another really good a 24 film. I don't know if you've seen that one yet. No, that's, that's one I have not watched. Yeah. That's, check that uh, one out. That's another really good a 24 flick. I think, I think green room is an a 24 movie as well, if I'm not mistaken. And if you haven't seen green, a green room, that might be one of the most violent gory movies I've, I've seen in recent memories. And I want to, is it, I want to say, is it Jean-Luc Picard that's in that movie? Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, that one is really good. Um, So watch that if you haven't seen it. And I don't know if this one is an A24 movie or not, but because I'm on this whole like rabbit hole of talking about opening shots, It Follows. (laughs) Have you seen It Follows? Yes, a few years ago, but not enough for me to really comment on. I remember loving it. I remember like, all right, this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm along for this. Like, I like, I like this. And then not enough, not like these like hereditary, you know, these movies yeah. that I'm like, yes, I'm loving the theater right, or the, uh, the studio right now. Yeah. They're doing it for me. Yeah. Check it out again. Uh, again, opening shot is just, there's this great like 360 camera shot of you're just watching this girl like run out of a house and freak. And then how she runs back and then goes in a car and like peels off. And it's again, from an idea of the, the, the most deadly STD um, <laughs> is, is really, really cool. So just, um, 
Yeah, just because we were talking about A24 movies and opening shots made me think about that. But good stuff, man. I'm glad that you're that you're checking out that. And obviously, A24 do everything great. It doesn't have to be scary movies, but their scary movies are fantastic. But like The Florida Project and Moonlight and Lady Bird, those are just a few movies that I think of off the top of my head. So just a fantastic studio. It seems like, you know, not to like be that but i feel like a24 right now is what focus films was like in yeah. the, uh, the early 2000s just putting out like nothing but good art films that are just you know really unique and really creative and out you know taking risks that we like i appreciate as a, a film fan you nailed it yeah it's very much like the new the new focus films but yeah they're they, they've taken it to another level right i mean just doing some really <laughs> the witch the witch is another good a24 flick uh, i enjoyed that one that one was a really tough one to kind of follow because eggers really his use of language is freaking nuts and the movie's kind of hard to follow just by by the dialogue in the movie it, it just has kind of like a shakespearean effect in it so full disclosure i am not a fan of the witch however okay. i find myself watching that film all the time I I like not, the it's film. like one of those, and i'm watching it, i'm like uh it's just, i mean it's just rising tension for like two hours and it's I, I'm like, uh, I, I'm not a fan of this, but I love just watching it. I just can't stop watching The Witch. I watch it probably twice a year right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> the, the, the guy that did that movie, he, he's really good. And he also did The Lighthouse, which I think is probably mm, A24 yeah. as well. I love that one, yeah. <laughs> but just a really good look. And again, just his grasp of the English language and just, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's poetry. It is, t- there, there are tough movies to watch, but... I think if he gets another couple movies like in you know like on like notches on his belt, I think we're going to look at him as somebody that is just a master of the genre because of some of the things that that he does. It's not like anything else you've seen, and yeah, and mm-hmm. as a result, it's not easy to track or really get involved in it. But no, I mean you're you're right there. I mean I, for a movie, I'm like yeah. Not a fan of the witch. Watched it about a dozen times. <laughs> it's like he he's doing something right. Where I'm just yeah. sitting there, you know, like the cast. I mean, again, I constantly talk about the cast. Cast is perfect, and for them to do that difficult dialogue mm-hmm. in character, yeah, in that level of tension is it, it's phenomenal, man. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, I think I think our time is up. I think we we've chatted good about John Carpenter and A24, and uh, <laughs> I've had a good discussion. Hopefully, you've had a good time today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Dude, totally. You're always welcome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you ever see a movie that you're like, dude, this is this movie, this movie is incredible and I need to talk about it. You always have an invitation here because I'd love to chat with it uh, with you. And um, awesome, man. Awesome. Listeners, as always, thank you very much for, for tuning in each and every week. Please like, subscribe, follow me on those various forms of social media, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, letterboxed, um, <laughs> all that, all that fun stuff. And we will see you next week. In fact, I think my next episode that I've got in store for you, I'll give you a little preview. I don't normally do this, but my next episode that we'll be doing, cause this concludes our Halloween portion. We will be doing the 1999 election and that movie will be coming out on november 2nd the day before the election which i felt would be a real real timely movie to discuss and so therefore if you have not seen that movie highly encourage you to go check out election it stars reese witherspoon matthew broderick 
and it is probably no, 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 it's not probably. It is the best thing that Reese Witherspoon has ever done. And I'm not saying <laughs> that like tongue in cheek. She's done an, a ton of great things, but um, Election is just unbelievable. And this is probably the best thing Matthew Broderick has ever done next to Ferris Bueller's Day Off and maybe even better than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So uh, look, uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll come out on November 2nd. But until then, we'll see you next time. Mark, thank you. Thank you very much. It was a real treat chatting with you tonight. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody.